Hey, one quick thing before we get started. I just want to remind you that this podcast is for information, education, and entertainment. It is not a substitute for therapy or therapeutic intervention. If you find yourself in crisis, please visit your local emergency room or contact a crisis hotline. On this episode of the LOL Pod, I am joined by my guest, Kirk Shepard, and we talk about everything from theater and wrestling to vulnerability and counseling. I hope you enjoy. Let's jump in. Hey, everyone. This is LaShonda from Labors of Love, and you are listening to the Labors of Love podcast. I'm very excited to have a guest with me today that's going to share all kind of awesomeness because he's just an awesome person. He is my friend and colleague, Mr. Kirk Shepard. Hi, Kirk. Hello. Thank you for I, having me. I am. I'm so delighted that you're here. And I'm going to start in case people didn't notice already. You have like the most amazing voice. Has anyone ever told well, you? Well, thank you. I'll try it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll try to make it sound as cool as possible yeah it's just the cool voice you're made Thanks. for this so kirk i'm gonna start with you like i do all of my guests and ask what is your labor of love you know i knew you were gonna ask that so i've been thinking about it because i have so many things that i'm interested in right so i think probably if i had to nail one thing down that um kind of ties everything else together it's probably my love of theater and theatrical things um, I'm a theater critic. I have a website called The Sappy Critic. It's one of the many things that I, that I write about. But because of that interest, I've been able to meet all kinds of amazing people and do other things that have been related to theater, but not. And so we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about that as we go. But yeah, so I think, um, you know, theater. I'm a theater lover. I love to go watch. I love to write about it. I'm a playwright, so I'm working on my second full-length play now. Um, Actually, I actually started my draft of my third, but I have to finish the second. It's a process, you know, you're never really working on one thing, but <laughs> playwright, uh, I've acted before. I have done stand-up comedy, which is theatrical. So I just, you know, anything that's like that is kind of my thing. I love it. And you're right. We will have such an opportunity to go to so many different places, which I'm excited about. Um, but something I'll share that a lot of people probably don't know because I you know it's not something I talk about a lot but when I was an undergrad one of my concentrations was theater that was a general studies no I was a general studies major with concentrations in psychology and theater and the interesting thing about it is how I even got into it was I took a class freshman year with a professor that I absolutely fell in love with her name um, was uh, Dr. Glenda Dickerson and oh, God rest her soul. I, we kept in touch on and off. And then we had this hiatus and I went back to find her and found that she had passed away. It was very sad, but she was the second black woman to produce on Broadway. And so she was just this juggernaut of a human being who found herself teaching at the university of Michigan. And I being not a person who decided I needed to declare a major and lock myself down, found my way into her life and was like, whatever she's doing, I will be there. And so by the time I got to my senior year, I'd accumulated so many of her classes that um, I it, it became a concentration uh, based on yeah. credit hours, but just spending time with a, a focus on black theater um, mm. and just um, being able to look at both sides, you know, directing and learning some of the, the things behind it and actually being on stage. So I, I, when I say I love the theater, I'm not one of those people who's been to tons of plays, but sure. I, I love acting and I think I do it a well, lot in some ways. I, exactly. So I think, I mean, that this is probably going to be the, this is important to think that as counselors, because I'm also a counselor, right? And that's mm -hmm. how we really know each other is that world. Uh, there is such a similarity between acting performance and what we do in the counseling room. And it's not to say that we're pretending in the counseling room because the best actors aren't pretending. They're not the pretending. The best actors are being authentic on stage. And so I think that's why it all sort of, when I said it all kind of ties together, my work in the counseling world is very much influenced and vice versa by my love of theater and my knowledge of it and the exploration of those acting styles. I also spent 18 years in the professional wrestling world which is also theater. It may be uh, athletic improv redneck theater, but it's still, <laughs> it's still theater, right? Yes. So it all ties together. 
Well, you're, you're absolutely right. And what I can say is, as I reflect back on my time in undergrad and these theater classes, what it taught me was how to be. Now, I will say I left undergrad. I lost that for about <laughs> 10 years. And then when I came back around to this journey of authenticity that I've been on for now, going on almost a decade, it brought me right back to those fundamental moments. And I have to tell you, and I think I told this on, a, on another podcast because I one of my guests she is an actor moved to New York awesome Kayla um, I'm sorry Gabrielle you know how you know one person by one name but yes. um, I'm in this class and by this point I'm a senior so people now know more about Professor Dickinson right and more people want more of her so these classes that were not very full and it felt like she was just all mine kind of you know now it's like all these people in there but we were doing an exercise and I believe the line was follow the north star and you it was the only line that you could use and you had to convey right and we're in partners and so we're doing this and I'm out of my peripheral I see her coming and so then I decide you know oh I gotta turn it up I have to impress her and I just remember I was not being authentic. And in the middle of class, she like stops the class and she goes, Shonda, stop masturbating. You have a partner. And I'm like, oh my God, what? But she's like, you don't have to play with yourself. You have, and, and, and it just blew this whole, like, I was doing it for you. Yeah. You know, I was trying to impress right. you. And she, she really over years just said, who are you? And so I love theater. Yeah. Um, I hope yeah. to find myself back, back on the stage at some. I would love that. It feels like home for me. Maybe we need to write something and get Let's you up there. Let's do this. So tell us a little bit about before we branch into the many ways it shows up. Yeah. How? Where is it rooted? Kind of this love yeah. for theater. So I think I think that you know I. I grew up watching, I grew up in a very small town. I didn't have access to the arts, really. I mean, we had a band class, and I didn't do any of that. Actually, I was too shy, believe it or not, back then. Uh, I played the piano um, from sixth grade on, but not publicly for a very long time until I was, was uh, kind of forced to. And then I started to sing, which was a big deal, because I would used to sing in my den with a door shut, and I... My voice is not quiet, uh, so I convinced myself no one could hear me if the door was closed, even though the whole house could hear me all the time, right? And my mom was just heartbroken that I would never share that. And one day I decided at church to get up and sing a solo instead of playing the piano and uh, started leading worship after that and started to perform in that way, but didn't really have a lot of outlets otherwise. So com uh, compared, you know, in conjunction with that, I loved watching Hulk Hogan and Saturday night's main event and superstars of wrestling as a kid, which was a lot of performance, a lot of very big personalities. And, you know, uh, found my way back to that world in college when I realized there was independent professional wrestling shows here in Cincinnati, uh, that performed at the national art armory in Hamilton and the Eagles lodge in Blanchester. And so I started to go watch those shows, realized that the guy who ran those shows also had a radio show about wrestling. We listened to on Wednesday nights in the dorm, uh, my friends would go with me, uh, met another guy who was also equally taken in with the world of wrestling. We made a website for them. And I spent from that moment forward, 18 years, almost full-time hours, even though it wasn't my full-time job, doing behind the scenes things, writing the shows, performing on them. And for, you know, for 10 years of that was really intense full-time stuff, which kept me from doing anything else really, because it was have a life and then have a wrestling life. And then I went to Kings Island one afternoon. I hadn't been there since I was a kid and saw they had a couple shows. And I thought, oh, this will be fun. And one was a TV theme song tribute show called Way Too Much TV. And I watched it and I was just blown away that people could do that four times a day for 25 minutes, the same show, and that you could go sit there and watch that. And I would go back and watch it again and again. And I would sit in the back so I wouldn't look creepy uh, <laughs> until I realized <laughs> there were other people sitting in the front who were also there all the time. And so I moved my way forward and started to meet the performers and started to make friends with them, make those connections and realized that many of them were students at Wright State University or CCM, you see. And I would start to go watch their other performances and started to write about it and started to follow them around and became integrated in that community uh, and started writing reviews so prolifically that I got free tickets to things and had a website. And so uh, then I decided it was time to act, then it was time to write my own play. So it just sort of evolved 
over time, but it really started uh, with with wrestling. I, I feel like, I mean, that was kind of the thing that kind of kicked me into that theatrical world. Uh, so I know that on your many platforms, you talk about wrestling a lot, but wrestling is not something that I've talked a lot about um, on my platform. So I wanted to spend a few minutes here. Yeah. And uh, as we talk about my journey with wrestling, what I know, what I knew of wrestling was this thing. I, you know, I think my dad may have maybe watched a little bit of it when I was growing up. So I remember Jake the Snake. Like that, yeah, that was like him. a name um, thing. And I have never liked snakes and pretty terrified of them. So that stuck out to me, right? Sure. I was familiar with Hulk Hogan, like the name, but it was never a thing. I get to high school. So we're talking attitude era, mid to late nineties. And this was like the uh, Austin 316. And we're talking um, the rock and the boys at my high school were very invested in this, right? So to this day, if I see like something on the network, the WWE network, and it goes back to that time, I'm like, oh, you know, it just reminds me of like the boys in my school, one of whom yeah. I end up marrying, right? First husband. <laughs> so I, I mean, th th there's a whole lot of history wrapped yeah. up in that. So that's yeah. all I know. I knew about wrestling. Well, when um, I was dating my husband now, um, pretty early in our relationship, I think we got together in February, WrestleMania was coming in April, early April. And so he asked me to go to BW3s with him and his best friend. They've been best friends since high school to watch wrestling. And I'm looking like, oh, okay. People camp out at BW3s. Like you have to get there hours ahead of time to secure a table. It's this whole thing. I get there and I look around and I'm like, there are no children here. And he's like, why would there be kids here? And I'm like, because it's right. No, so I'm sitting there and I wasn't fully invested. I was more invested in watching the people who yeah. were there to watch WrestleMania. That's what I was doing. This yeah. was my first time seeing it. I remember Fandago, Fandago and John Cena <laughs> yeah. fought. I, I, yeah. I can remember this whole thing. And I was amazed at like the rise and the fall of energy and so I was interested but whatever we get through Wrestlemania we're in the car because his friend had just moved out to California he was back visiting and as we get in the car his friend is like you know it's in New Orleans next year right we should go and Jay's like yeah let's do it and then his friend's in the back and he goes you coming with us right and I'm like sure like this isn't gonna happen well let me tell you time passed here comes November all of a sudden they're like tickets go on sale and they're figuring it out okay I'll get the tickets I'll get the hotel this whole thing so I'm like y'all are serious and I remember saying how about I go to New Orleans with y'all but we I don't have to do this whole WrestleMania and he's like no like you you gotta go like you know and this whole thing so fast forward we get to April and we're going you get to New Orleans and the whole town is WrestleMania yeah, I'm talking bigger than life size, port, this whole thing. And we get, you know, we do the whole thing. We went to the, the center where they had all of it. My first thought, this is a million dollar industry. I mean, it was just all kinds of stuff. Then we actually get to WrestleMania, 70,000 people. Okay. And I am sitting there and I have never in my life experienced anything like it. This energy, it, it had all the making. So I, I went, I'm not Catholic, never happened, but I went to a Catholic school mm -hmm. from kindergarten to 12th grade, okay? The call and response in the Catholic church ain't got nothing on <laughs> okay? I mean, right. I was just struck that all these people knew what to say and knew when to say it. And these chants were breaking out and all of this energy yeah. was happening. And at that moment, I realized while scripted, fair, there was some true artistry that Absolutely. was taking place. And I can tell you, I, I've never been in front of 70,000 people performing, but from somebody who's been in front of three or four or 500 and having them respond to you in that way. So it's magical to be part of it on the audience side. Imagine the power of responding to you as the performer. It's, it's a drug that you cannot get a high from like any other. I can, I can 100% attest to that. You, I can, if I do a training, 
right? Yes. Yes. And, and I and I say something and you have people responding to you, yes. whole different subject we can talk about on another podcast, but that's I, I, the allure of the pulpit. I'll just leave it yeah. there. Yeah. Well, but I think it, it all ties it together. It all, it's all yeah. the same thing, right? I mean, it's all about being authentic and the training stuff that we've done. That's worth, I think both of us are theatrical in our presentation, which is why we get asked to do them. People want to come back and see us again and again because they know they're going to not be bored to death and they're going to take something away, but it's part of the performance, the authentic, you know, sharing of information that, that we are doing, whether it's through a scripted performance, uh, improv performance and wrestling or in front of the training room. I think it's all the same thing. I, I agree with you. And I think what people are coming for, it is that authenticity because so while this might sound crazy and Jay on his own podcast can tell the funny story of WrestleMania that from his perspective, what I will say is that when The Rock, who was no longer the Attitude Era Rock, but this phenom walks out and I turned into a 14 year old little girl screaming and jumping up and down, you couldn't tell me that he wasn't talking to me, even though I was with yeah. 70,000 people. And what people will say about my trainings, is like, it's like, I was talking directly to them. That is that is the nature of theater. It's the charisma of it. It's the energy of it. And those who I think have immersed themselves in that authentic process are the people who people want to come back. So well, and I think the gift of being able to individualize what you're doing in spite of being in front of a room full of a hundred people is not necessarily something we have ever. Uh, we didn't ask for it. We didn't learn it. It's just part of the package that you get when you have that gift. Mm -hmm. Very true. So I would love to talk about the many, and I do mean many ways in which this core uh, passion and labor yeah. of love for you is manifesting. You do so much cool stuff. So where do you want to start? Well, you know, COVID has been tough, right? Because we've not yeah. been able to go to the theater for over a year now. I was, uh, the last thing I saw really in a theater was opening night of a show called Pipeline um, at Ensemble Theater, uh, which explored uh, topics of race and who knew how, I mean, how, I mean, obviously that topic's never gone away or it's just become a little more forefront, at least in my world, right? As a, a white boy from the farm who didn't know any black people till they got to the city, uh, I've been doing a lot of growth this year in that area. But it was interesting that Pipeline was the show that, uh, that was uh, opened and then closed immediately the next day because of COVID. And still, I believe the sets are on that stage waiting for that show to resume uh, once we're able to do that. Um, so for a year, I've not been able to go see anything. I've, there's been a few things here and there in a park that I've seen. But uh, apart from this weird year uh, of COVID, you know, I think that uh, the, the joy for me is to go and discover something new. I'd much rather go see a brand new work, a brand new play, some of people that I know locally then go watch uh, something big at the Aronoff Center uh, that's been done a hundred times, right? So uh, intimacy of that uh, smaller theater and, and the crafting of a new project, a relevant contemporary work uh, really tickles my fancy. Uh, that's what I really like to do. And I like to go write about it and try to get people to go see it because I think that uh, just like what we do in the counseling room, we're evoking uh, feeling and change good theater should do the same thing, right? Mm -hmm. So now I'm also trying to write things that are doing that. But what I have found when I write is that I'm not necessarily trying to do that consciously. I want to tell a good story and hope that the characters, the story, whatever the message is, that's not really my, I don't write with a message. I write people, I write stories. And then if there is something to be taken away, I hope people will do that. Um, I don't know. I'm all over the place about this. I could talk about it forever, but I don't know. I just, I just love it. I just love all that stuff so much. So let's talk for a minute about writing. Yeah. Um, and I hear on one hand that the writing you do after seeing this show and having this intimate experience with local live performance, you write to kind of help people ex understand your experience and say, Hey, we should support this. How has writing emerged for you? How has it been yeah. this tool that you felt has been very um, conducive yeah. to kind of get the arts out there? It was interesting at the beginning when I first started to write reviews, I was never critical ever. I never said anything negative. I gushed about most things because I was in love. I was, it was the honeymoon period. I've, I've never seen things like this before. And, you know, I'm, I'm 
coming to it late in life. And so, or later in life than many people do. And so I just, I love it. And I was authentically, genuinely writing about that, but it came across, I know, to some uh, who were in the theater world, like I was uh, kissing butt. And part of it was designed as a way to connect with other people. I wanted to know these people. I wanted to get to know these artists. I wanted to uh, become part of that community. So probably on some level, I was writing uh, to make friends, <laughs> you know? Uh, and now, you know, I've been doing that since, I don't know, I think, I think maybe eight, nine years now at this point, probably since I first started writing about theater. And uh, I'm a little less uh, impressed as easily. Um, you do have to have certain uh, skill sets to get me to write a rushing, gushing review, but I try not to be negative because uh, as the Cincinnati Enquirer theater critic, David Lyman told me a long time ago, a mentor to me, he said, you know, the actors are not the enemy. Uh, we should not be writing to hurt their feelings. We should not be writing in a way that's just negative to be for the sake of being negative or to, to be entertaining, try to be constructive, try to be fair. And he's written his share of negative reviews, but they're never mean. Um, I think, you know, if you go to New York and read the New York Times, sometimes those reviews are just downright mean. They're hilarious sometimes, but they're just mean. And I never want to be that because I do. Mm -hmm. It is a fine line to walk when you're in the in the community itself. I, these people know me, right? If you, It's a very interesting balance too, knowing that people know I'm in the audience and some people uh, who know me better than others know I'm there to support and I'm going to write something positive, but they still get a little nervous because the critics here, which I, just makes me laugh because I'm, I'm not there to catch you or get you. Uh, but I think other people, I've had people tell me before, are we allowed to talk to you? Like there's just supposed to do this distance between the critics and the, and that, that hurts my feelings because it's like, no, I'm just, I'm just a guy who likes theater and wants to write about it. And this is, you know, I'm one of the few people in town doing this, um, writing reviews and getting the word out there. So yes, talk to me, please. In fact, you'll get better reviews probably if I know you, because I'll be less likely to be mean to you. <laughs> Yeah, I'll actually <laughs> you know, know just, who you are. Right. So I think that's been a big thing. Uh, and my writing has definitely gotten better because the more you write, the better you get at it uh, in terms of being able to describe and use appropriate adjectives and all the technical side of that. But even just in the um, the way it feels to write is different, right? It's, it's less of a chore now and more of a joy to be able to just let my fingers on the keyboard talk uh, about what they've experienced in that moment. And it's translated into other areas of writing too. So when I'm writing a dialogue for a play, I just turn my brain off and let the characters start to talk, to talk. And I think I wouldn't be able to do that had I not had two things, enough experience watching so many plays and musicals that I know how people are supposed to talk on stage, but also having so many real life conversations with people uh, at work and in the counseling room and also just authentically with people in general. I think a lot of playwrights suffer, suffer from not really having enough human interaction to write authentic dialogue. That's one of my biggest criticisms of, of a lot of the things that I read or see is the, the inauthenticity of the relationships and the way they're speaking to one another. People don't talk like that. People um, don't talk like that. So it's, <laughs> you know, you, and so I actually write best uh, in public. I wrote my, my first play, most of it was written in the Starbucks at Kings Island uh, in the mornings before the shows would start there uh, when I would, could hear people interacting with other people in the background and had some background noise to just kind of absorb while I wrote the rhythm of conversation. Now that's good stuff. Now, when you were talking, a couple of things emerged for me. Yeah. One, as you were talking about your work as a critic, um, true story had this experience today but it's not a new experience I just am um, evolving in how I experience it and so I do a lot of trainings and I had done this training um, for an organization that is statewide and I got an email today that was like hey as always your training was well received here's the feedback right and I so there's that. a mate <laughs> you know I always grab a hold of my chair and hold on tight uh-huh Right. And, and so, you know, you have some standard questions. Um, and I think how they worded one of them was level of appreciation hmm. for this particular thing, uh, one to five, um, and some other questions. And then I had to submit questions, you know, did this, sure. here, well, yeah. here are the yeah, objectives, yeah. did it meet this yeah, objective? Yeah. Right. And then people could fill in their, their comments. And like, 
human nature, but definitely my human nature is I go in and I hone in and say, what's the least, what's the smallest number? And then you hone in, right? And it, I mean, it's literally, it can be 200 fives, four fours and a 0.51, you're like, oh, what did I do? You know, but I just sat, felt my body. What am I experiencing? And then I got to the comments and I think what I am learning, what's moving from my head actually settling in my body is when I walk away, the question I ask myself is, did I give everything I was supposed to give? Mm. That's it. That's all I can actually control. Yeah. And I, I try to do that with precision and with accuracy and with, inter I try to do all that, but once I, that's all I can control. And I begin to realize that the goal is not to get 100% of people saying, oh my God, I love her. You know, there were some, so many positive things. This was so helpful and people were, yeah. and what I can appreciate is when someone does make a comment that it's detailed and constructive enough for me to go, that, thank you. Yes. I yes. hadn't thought of that. You I know, how a person might receive that. I, I, yeah, I don't mind it at specific all. feedback, but don't give me a one and not tell me why. Right, you know, and crazy. it's just like, I remember one time I did it. And um, first of all, I've never been more offended by the term lady. Everybody seems <laughs> like this lady, but you know, blah, blah, blah. And, and so I just kind of like try not to get stuck there. But as you were talking about like the yeah. critic, I know why I have to keep doing my own healing work is because there are parts of me, these younger parts of me who are like, oh my God, they didn't like me. And it's like, hey, one person can literally say, oh my God, that was so helpful. And the next person can say, yeah, you know, Right. I didn't really like, and, and it gets to be okay. So it's okay. You know. Yeah. Yeah. But no, it's, yeah. I, I think that's when you think about what actors are doing on stage, if they're doing it well, they're being authentic, they're being mm -hmm. vulnerable. They're putting themselves out there in a, a way that's more, even more real than maybe in just general conversation, because they're being watched by all these voyeurs who've come to watch the emotional, mm -hmm. whatever that's happening up there. And so yeah, I think it's important to remember that when you're writing about things and you know criticizing, which I don't really criticize. I, I give a, a feedback and try to point out the positives, but it's important to remember that these people are really taking a risk. Yeah, emotionally, they are. and I want to be safe about that when I respond to it. I love that, and and I think it's something that people can just take away because now, you know, what social media has done is you know you don't have to be Siskel and Ebert anymore, right? Right anybody right. can be a critic and and it and sometimes again constructive feedback can be very helpful for people who are vulnerably putting themselves out there sometimes i get in i'm like wow you know that's a really good point but just i don't like it well <laughs> did you eat that morning did you right. have, you know did your and, kid and i will say that if i give a review of, a, of an overall show saying it wasn't my cup of tea that usually is because it's about me, not about the thing. Mm -hmm. And I usually say, most people will probably will love this. I didn't respond to it. That's because I'm me and I'm a very specific person mm -hmm. who has very specific desires and wants and needs and, and likes and preferences. And it's okay if I didn't like it. You should still go see it. I want every theater to be full every night, regardless of what I thought of the show. You know, it's not about me. Um, and you're right. Anybody can be a critic. That's true because I had no business writing about theater when I first started. I was just like with wrestling. That's how I started there too. I was writing reviews of the wrestling shows. I don't know what I'm talking about other than just being a fan of it. And they brought me in and asked me to start doing their website. So yeah, I've, I've been given far too much credit way too early in my life for many, many things. Uh, way too much power, I should say, early on that I did not deserve that I'm trying to honor now uh, that I'm more educated and experienced. Growing into it, yeah. The second thing that emerged for me is just writing. You know, something as you were talking that is not a new thought, but crystallized for me a little bit is that I am so, I have had longer and more experience um, utilizing my spoken voice yeah. that I feel very comfortable navigating that. But as I'm writing, I find that I'm not as confident with my written mm. to the point that I will write something and then read it and record it for people to consume it instead of letting them read it because sure. it's a different muscle. And, yes. you know, I have not yet gotten comfortable with my written works as much as I have learned that I can do things with inflection and my voice and pacing, pausing, yeah. levels, all these things that, you know, have come 
some naturally and intuitively, but some I've worked on that I, learning to do that in my writing is, is a process. Well, and so imagine the, the terror when you were a playwright and you've written with a certain expect, expectation in the line and you hand it to an actor who has free reign to read it however they'd like. And sometimes it works out really well. And sometimes you're like, oh, they got it. They understood it. Sometimes they do something with it that I'm like, oh, I never would have done it that way, but that's awesome. And sometimes it's like, no, <laughs> that's not <laughs> what I meant. And you really, I, I, my first play was, it was a very a big challenge to not uh, give line readings to the actors when I was in rehearsals, workshopping it because they weren't, they weren't getting what I was intending. Mm. Um, and that was uh, a hard lesson to just sit back and let it be and not worry about it too much. We also cut page after page after page of what I'd written. So you're workshopping this big thing that you spent, I spent, you know, almost what, 10 years with the idea at least mm. to get it to the stage. And then the director's like, we don't need this page. We don't need this page. We don't need this. I'm like, ah. but he was right. Mm -hmm. And it was better for it. But uh, yeah, you learn a lot about um, letting go when you're working as part of a team. I think that is so spot on. One, um, some of the work that I do, we, uh, the uh, Morning the Creation of Racial Categories project, we do documentaries, right? And mm -hmm. we have all this footage. I mean, she has to go through hundreds of hours of footage to get something down to a 58 minute documentary, wow. right? And that's something I, I can't imagine I ever would want to do that. And I totally commend uh, Joan Ferrante for doing it. But it's so interesting because the partnership and the relationship and the team is trusting that they're going to hold true to the integrity of what you were saying. Because if I talked with you for two hours, but I'm only going to be in that documentary for seven minutes and 28 seconds, there's a lot lost, right? Yeah, and context yeah. and meaning and everything. And so that teamwork and that trust that you develop that they're going to hold true to the integrity of what you're saying is, is it's, it's huge to be able to yeah. do that. So. Absolutely. Well, and it's also, I think it's scary to do, you know, do interviews with people like this is great because we know each other and we trust each other. And, you know, you were a guest on my podcast when I, when I was doing that. Um, and, you know, I think, that we know we're not going to try to get you. But when you think about investigative journalism and how easily it is nowadays to just paint a very opinionated picture using people's words against them, mm -hmm. such a divisive world. It's just such a kind of a scary place to be out there and put yourself out there, right? So, uh, you know, you, you send the form where you're asking for all the social media things and all the stuff where you're, you know, promoting yourself. And I'm, sometimes I'm torn. It's like, I, I love to be known. I love attention as long as I'm in charge of it. Right. But then at the same time, do I really want people to read what I'm doing and know what I'm doing? I do, but it, I don't, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a, especially in this current culture, like what if I say something wrong and then I'm canceled? <laughs> mm -hmm. It's hard. It's, it's scary. Yeah. I've had the thought many a times, like uh, I get to the point now where honestly, I don't listen to the podcast after mm -hmm. I do sure. soak in every moment and I just don't have time, but I, I can get to the end of a recording and go, that's going to come back to bite me. I don't even know how, but I know that thing that I just said mm -hmm. can be in some ways construed, especially out of context yep. in a way and having to slowly but surely get comfortable with, was it authentic in the moment? Mm -hmm. Was I being my true self? Mm -hmm. And then it is what it is. Um, I have never been misquoted like I have when someone, when I'm in a newspaper. It, wow. it is uncanny either. I mean, something's like, that's not how you spell my name. <laughs> you should at least get that part right. right. Okay. So there's no S on the end of Sug, by the way. There is a space in LaShonda. The S is capital. <laughs> there is no O, you know, those kind of things. I mean, it is a lot. It is, you know, okay. You know, <laughs> fine. Since you put kidding. it that way, right? <laughs> but then they're just like, wait, I didn't actually say that those weren't my exact words. And I can say I've had a strong integrity to words yeah. for as long as I can remember. If I yeah. am telling you a story, it doesn't matter how seemingly insignificant the story is. If I cannot quote a person, I will say something like, so this isn't a quote, but this yeah. is very close to what they said, or this isn't their exact words, but here was the meaning. And I do believe that in many circumstances, um, 
even when emotionality is high, I am able to say, here is the emotionally redacted part. Here is yeah. what happened. Yeah. Now I will insert how I was impacted by it. Right. And that's been such a high value for me. And then I learned in adulthood that other people are not like that. I've had people sitting with me, quote me. And I'm like, I didn't say that. <laughs> like yeah, literally, right. linguistically, I wouldn't have put those words I'm, together. I'm probably guilty of that myself as a storyteller, as a stand-up comic, as somebody who likes to entertain of uh, embellishing, right? Or changing the details to make the story better. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, that's, that's, that's a dangerous thing to start doing. Well, what's so interesting is Jay will always say, a wise man once told me, I don't know if this wise man is real or not. Um, don't let the details get in the way of a good story, right? Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, and so now I'm writing and part of what I'm writing is autobiographical. Sure. Okay. It's a memoir. I've read and I'll get to this. Yes, you have. A tiny piece of it. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. And I will get to this point where I'm like, Literally, I can't remember if that was in the fall or if that was in the spring. And I will get caught up yeah. in this detail that literally is not confirmable. Because if it was, I wouldn't be struggling. I would just go back and confirm it. I, I didn't grow up in the era of Google, right, where everything right. is accessible. And, and I just, when I get stuck, you know, Jay is one of the people who says, like, are you letting this detail get in the way of the story and the interesting thing about my life too is where people think I'm embellishing I'm like no no that was like legit mm -hmm. true I, yeah. I don't even have to embellish on some yeah. stuff because yeah. it's been that while but it's all part of the writing journey well and I'm so I'm in a book I'm, I started a book club this year that I'm running so that I will actually read books this year so it's my book club I pick the books I read them if people want to read along with me that's great but it's all about me um and this was our April book it's called group by Christy Tate and she journals and chronicles her journey through group therapy and the way she tells the story about the therapist is concerning ethically to us therapists. Most people who've read it who are in the counseling world are horrified at some of the things that he does as a, as a provider of care. However, I also have to realize that she wrote this from her perspective. And if we ask him what happened, it might be a very different story. There's still things that I think he would probably agree with that I wouldn't have done personally. Mm -hmm. But it's interesting when you're reading good memoir, they don't always let those details get in the way of telling the story, but you just have to read it with that filter and know this is their version of the events. That's why it's important to read multiple sources for history, right? If we only yes. read one newspaper, if we only watch Fox News, we only watch MSNBC, we're only gonna get one side of the story. And that's what's really frustrating about living in 2021 is what's true. Mm -hmm. I was raised that truth is definitely a thing and there is truth, but how do you find it when you don't have all the details and you're only getting the information people want you to have? It's really, uh, it's a really interesting thing. So as a writer, do you want to be a journalist or do you want to be a storyteller? And those are mm -hmm. two different things. Yeah. I also think that as a counselor, going back to that idea of putting ourselves out there as somebody who wants to work in the room with people one-on-one -on -one and do good work therapeutically and we were taught and maybe incorrectly and by a lot of folks that we're sort of a blank slate anonymous all those things that therapists are traditionally thought of and then we have this big online presence uh, i had a client yesterday tell me you're exhausting uh he, he looked me up on google and saw all the things that i'm doing and i guess i am in some ways and probably more ways than he meant but uh you know it's it's a uh it's a dichotomy of what most counselors who don't, you know, they have, they have fake names on Facebook even because they yeah. don't want people to find them. And here we are putting ourselves out there pretty boldly in the world. And I think it's an interesting perspective, interesting way of doing the, doing the work. I think it's effective either way. I think it depends on the person and your comfort I level, but I think it's something to think about. I, I agree. And I think we live our lives out loud, you and I. I think yeah. you and I are so much more alike than people who know us separately and then know, oh, yeah. would, would ever never... think yeah. that we are alike, so much alike. Um, yeah. And it's really interesting too, because one of the comments and the feedback that I received for the, the training I did was, um, LaShonda is an um, well-liked presenter. For my taste, she uses too much self-disclosure. Yeah. And I thought, fair, right? Fair. But that's, that that's information least... is more about what what I how I took that is great. Now that you know that about me, you have the option not to come. 
you right. know, not, I need to disclose less. And, right. and right. that that's a growth moment for me to be like, interesting. I'm glad yeah. they recognized Mm-hmm. for their particular comfort level, yeah. my self-disclosure is a bit much. And and that gets to be totally fine. So, I just recognize that as I show up very authentically in this way, people get, because it's all about informed consent to me. Yep. I, I Part of why I live so authentically online is I I want you to know what you're getting. Right. If, if I'm too much for you on my, on the home landing page of my website, you probably don't want to be in a room with me for an hour. And then you pay me money to be in this room with me. You know, I want people to know ahead of time. And for me, that's, that's the thing. I don't have to be for everyone, but I want people to kind of know what they're I think we both do a good job of balancing that, right? So your your private Facebook page, you'll post different things than you would publicly. Same for me. I had a transformative experience last week where I was having a really rough day, a uh, really rough, rough couple of days at work. And so I didn't share it with everybody, but a good majority of my Facebook world saw my request for affirmation, which normally I read those things and think, oh my God, you're so needy. But I needed to be needy in that moment. And so I yeah. asked people to tell me if there's something that you like about me or admire about me, I'd love to hear it. Because I don't want to go to my funeral when I'm dead. Come on. No, I wanted to go now. I wanted to hear what mm-hmm. you have to say about me now. And 200 people plus commented very specific positive feedback that changed my life, frankly. I've printed it out. I've cut them into slips of paper. They're in a mason jar. I pull them out when I need them. Uh, because I'm being authentic out there and living that. Uh, some people will be totally uncomfortable with that. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. You don't have to do it. I chose to be vulnerable in that moment in a public way and uh, it worked out. So I think, but you you know, not everybody's going to do that. And that doesn't make them bad or different. It's not a judgment. It's just a difference. Yeah. What I appreciate about that. I was one of the people who responded. I thought it was awesome. And I love that the responses that I saw and provided, they were specific, believe it or not. As much as people might think it's how, and, and I'm not saying stop if you're one of those people, but if someone says you're awesome, it's like, oh, thing, you know, that's helpful. But when someone goes, I really appreciate blank, that is so helpful, so yeah. much more helpful. What is that more, that is, what is that specific thing? And speaking of like, I have literally said this. So I've talked about it for years and I have finally accomplished it. My obituary is written. Ah. There are some things that are, blank and blank because it has not happened yet right so as those details of that happen we'll fill them in it's in a format where i told jay i will continue to add to this but when who knows right there will come a point and we we laugh because he's like there are no bears in here there are no wild chases so yeah i'm like i'll make sure i give it to a few people so they can make sure he's not adding crazy stuff but no it's written and (laughs) i found it an amazing experience mm-hmm. question was at the end of my life what was important what do I want people to have said about me because right. obituaries in my cultural tradition are five paragraphs mm-hmm. they were born here to this people they accepted Christ and went to this church with a whole bunch of who the pastors were which for me is extremely irrelevant mm-hmm. um a little paragraph about their life maybe where they worked if they had any kids and then yeah. at the bottom who's who who survives them and I said my yeah. life is too rich for a four to five paragraph glossing. So that's one thing. And another thing is I do want to attend my funeral, but essentially I want my flowers while I'm still alive. I want a memorial that's not memorializing me after I'm gone, but tell me now, because I think part of what we do is we give that to others. Yes. And sometimes people, I think, think because we give it to others, we don't need it as much. We're so confident and secure in who we are. I give it. I give it not to get it, but I give it because I value it. And I, I also really respond well to it. So yeah, yeah I think that's absolutely, yeah, we're, we're twins. It's totally we great. are. <laughs> so I love that. Well, let's talk for a minute about yeah. your counseling journey. So sure. you are a licensed professional clinical counselor with a supervisor designation. So you, yes, you yes. didn't win as far as, as the letters will take you in the state of and Ohio. I got my, LIC, <laughs> my LICDC as well. I have a licensed oh. independent chemical dependency counselor too. So yes. I, you know, I've got it all. You got all the letters <laughs> you can get as a counselor. Talk to us a little bit about um, what was that journey? How did you yeah. end up? In- so, you know, I was going to be a journalist. I was going to be a journalism major in college. That was what I set out to do. I went to a branch campus of Ohio State near my house and didn't like it. 
I had been the editor of the newspaper in my high school class, which had 94 kids in it. So tiny little place. Uh, but I thought, Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm made. I'm ready. I did. I was the editor of the newspaper. I'm ready to go work for the New York times. Um, <laughs> I went to college. I didn't love it. I actually took a year off and worked at Walmart as a, uh, manager for a little while and, and didn't like that either and went to church camp and volunteered and uh thought that i was going to be a youth minister because i fell in love with the interactions with the kids and then i realized that youth ministry was a lot more about balloons and uh, pies in the face and water balloon fights and i wasn't all into that uh but as much as i was the actual relationship building and the interactions and so i realized there was a counseling program at cincinnati bible college at the time and uh, so I got my undergrad degree in helping professions and then got my master's degree in counseling there and never really left until they actually closed the doors because I did leave for a couple of years, but I came back and started teaching there. So I don't know why I ever thought that I could be a helper because when I was a younger man, I was a much more bitter, angry, keep away from me so you don't get too close and find out my secrets kind of guy. Um which is a whole nother podcast. When my autobiography is done, we can talk about those things, but I'm not giving those secrets away just yet. I'm going to make some money off. I'm going to take that thing that's some money at some point. Um, (laughs) But I think that um, I did figure out that I was good at reading people, understanding them. Um, That song opened the eyes of my heart. God, I used to hate that song because I used to think that it made me see all the negative things about people. And so I was Mm. very judgmental. Um, and as I've gotten older and become uh, much more soft and much more vulnerable and much more okay with having positive feelings and not feeling like I'm weak doing so, uh, I, you know, I'm able to see the nice and the good and the, and the sweet and the wonderful, and I'm able to communicate it. And so I think part of, uh, as a counselor, you know, you have different counseling theories and I, you know, I share a similar perspective there too. I would always simple on relational cultural theory and how I operate, which is a whole other thing. But I also have a big, big uh, dose of Adlerian encouragement in there. Very much, especially as a teacher or a, a mentor or a supervisor, I'm very much about giving you what you need to be successful and encouraging you to do that. And I think all clients have the ability to do that. And so I think you'll, you know, people who work with me find that I am very much a cheerleader, um, and somebody who's going to caution you when you're doing too much or doing something that I think is going to be not great for you, but it's your life, it's your choice. I believe in autonomy, but I do think that um, I've had some really great encouragers in my life and I've sort of taken, um, even when I didn't deserve it. And so I've learned from them how to do that. And uh, so I think that if you were to sit across from me in the room, you would feel loved, cared for, encouraged, um, entertained. <laughs> There's a big section of what we do that's entertainment, I think, for people to actually take a breath from their problems and laugh about them and learn how to reframe them. And so, uh, yeah, here we are. I, I've done lots of different things in my career, and now I'm uh, back in private practice very part-time, uh, looking to maybe expand that soon. Um, i got to do that at a pace that's not going to take away all my time and make me nuts, but uh, I, I'm really kind of digging being back in that that counseling seat, which I'd been out of for a while when I was working full-time at agencies or the hospital and also teaching, I didn't have time to actually do the work. And I'm much better counselor now than I was 10 years ago because I've done that other work and the teaching part, especially conceptualizing what we do in the room has made me such a much better counselor than I was back then. So I'm really kind of loving it now. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm doing that now and it's really awesome. Yeah, I love that. And I, I appreciate that sometimes we have to step away for a period of time to continuing education for me is not just about going to a training or doing a computer thing about something that you already know you're just refining that skill but moving outside I think some of the things that have truly contributed to me as a counselor are things that are not counseling related working on a project over here that's that's not counseling related to having relationships that's it you said something way early on that i think is worth coming back to which is this idea of having genuine conversations with a multitude of people it's really hard to hate up close yeah that and during a, a year that has been so um emotionally uh, charged mm-hmm. for many reasons, um, race and racism, homophobia, um, you know, just all of these 
issues that have always been there, folks. Like, let's get it clear. 2020 did not start anything. It just slowed everything else down to the point where people could no longer be distracted by all the things that are happening. And it, it has been a tremendous year of I don't know, growth, evolution, and all this stuff for a lot of people. But part of it is when you actually start to have conversations with people, particularly for me, that I come from a perspective that allows me to understand that no one ends up how they are just because. It's not a thing. And I am constantly saying, where is that rooted? Where did that start? How did that come to be? What did they absorb as a child? Mm -hmm. With that lens, having conversations, observing things, it it is really so hard to objectively go, I hate you, Kurt, Mm -hmm. once if I talk to you, because you're going to reveal something that makes you human. And that humanity is hard to hate. It's when we distance ourselves and and when we other people and when we compare them to animals or anything you don't like it's so much easier to hate that well just putting labels on things in general right so you know if you're a fascist or you're a racist and and i i have taken this year to really um absorb that i don't know anything i i don't know anything I especially don't know anything about race. I especially don't know anything about, except for what I've been taught, what I've experienced in my life. And I came from a very white place in a very rural area. And I have learned so much this year and I still have so much more to learn. That's what I learned the most is that I I don't know anything. Um, But that the experiences, the things that I thought um, about the world were just a tiny corner based on the, where I sat in my seat in the world. And as I move seats and as I move closer to the center of the world or the different populations of people and have conversations and real relationships with all kinds of people, and theater has done that for me. Theater has allowed me to talk to people who have not grown up the same way I did, who have very different worldviews, very different faith views. My faith has changed dramatically this year too, in terms of how I look at you know, the Bible and what that means. And is it just a book that people, you know, I, I understand. I, I totally understand why people don't agree with me and why it's, it shouldn't just be my way, right? Um, white privilege and white power and all that stuff is a very real thing because part of the reason why I think people have had a different difficult year is understanding that things are changing and hopefully in a good way and that I'm not going to be able to get what I want. I was, I was laughing last night. I was thinking out loud how I could say this joke and not come across the wrong way. But I was going to say, it's about time that you finally gave a white man a voice on this podcast, right? Um, <laughs> it's, about, it's, our, it's our turn finally in the world for us to get some power. I'm obviously kidding, right? We've had so much privilege and power that uh, it's my turn to take a backseat now and to listen and learn. As a playwright, it's been hard to sort of swallow that playwrights of color, women, are getting the front and center attention now, but it's time and I can still write and I may not get picked and there may not be even uh, places for me to submit for a while because it's not my turn anymore, right? And just being able to, to understand that and be okay with that and not having to be, but me, 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 um, in that whole larger conversation of race and privilege. It's just, it's it's been a growth year for me and I still have so much more to learn and I, think the best thing is that I know it now. And and that's that largely what you just said is is how I describe culture humility. Yeah. Just be humble enough to know that you don't know yeah. anything. <laughs> you know your experience and it doesn't devalue your experience, but it is just one experience. Mine is one right. experience. What I right. really appreciate about having relationships, real authentic relationships with people is how often, I think, especially earlier in my life, conversations were something that I needed to convince people of something, whatever it is. I'm having this conversation to convince them. I I want them to walk away, if not with a completely changed mind towards my perspective, at least seeing my perspective. And so there was always, yeah. 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 Then I just, what if, what if the conversation is I get to speak my truth and they get to speak theirs and we can stop there. 
Like we, we don't have to move what we think is the next level, but if more conversations like that happen, change will come. Yes. because people will feel heard because they actually will be heard. It, it's just a whole phenomenal opportunity we have as the world at this point is quote unquote, opening back up, whatever that means, right? I, I, I can say that a tremendous fear, I guess I'll call it a fear that I have is that we as humans will not take what we have learned and take it with us back into the opening. That that's so much that emerged during this time of slow down and shut down and will will get lost. And you know, from a biblical standpoint, like one of my favorite books is the book of Judges. And I feel like every chapter begins with, and the people forgot. Yeah. <laughs> and, they, yeah. and they forgot and they forgot. So we go through this thing. And I think there, I would even read it. And while I recognize that it took place over long periods of time, there was a, uh, a, a frustration inside of me of like, goodness, would y'all just stop forgetting? And I sit in this same space. And like, that's a, a yearning. That's a, a plea that I have. Like, can we not forget? Can, can we, can we hold this can we recognize that it's lodged in our bodies? Can yeah. we move forward? There's going to be a point where- I don't want to go back to normal. No. I don't want to go back to normal. Normal was not good. No. We want to learn from this and do something different. Well past the time when masks won't be required. Yeah. I don't want us to go back to what it was before masks right. were required. And I, I think those of us, whoever us humans, <laughs> yeah. we can do our part in that. We yeah. can go back we can hold on to it and and i think that could be very powerful it's my hope it is a, yeah. a tremendous hope i have well and i think it's an uncomfortable place for some of us who have been in a, a position where we've had power privilege and not have to suffer to have to say yeah i'm i'm ready for the world to change for the better of the world and not be so narcissistic and arrogant about my own needs because my needs are going to get met in the community if I become part of the community rather than being so individualistic, it's just, it's just, a, it's been a, it's been a good year. And I'm, I'm, again, I've got so much more to learn and so much more work to do in that area, but I feel like I'm, I've uh, taken a, at least a baby te- baby toe step into the right direction. I appreciate that. So what's happening right now for Kirk, right? Kirk has done all these things and will do all of these things, but tell us where you are yeah. right now. So I think uh, right now I'm trying to grow this little bitty practice and see what happens without going nuts. So, uh, you know, KirkTheCounselor.com is the website for people to check out if they're interested in working with me. If I know you, obviously that's not going to work out. Uh, but, you know, if you know somebody who you think would benefit from somebody who is open, I've been actually getting a lot of folks who are creatives, a lot of writers that I'm working with. And it's been interesting to see how we can use that skill set, that gift, that passion in the work we do is in healing for them. And so that's been interesting. So uh, I, I understand creativity, understand what it's like to be a creative. And so I think that for folks who are looking to work on their mental health issues with somebody who understands that I'm, I'm a good choice for that. So I'm doing that. Um, I am working on April is actually end of play month through the dramatist guild. So I'm working on a new draft of a pretty uh, autobiographical in some ways uh, play about a funeral. Um, yeah. So we'll see what happens with that. I've got another play that I've finished that I did a workshop this year uh, about a webcam model, which is going to be very provocative and shocking. And I may lose some friends over that. Uh, that's okay. Uh, this is <laughs> we'll interesting. I'm intrigued. <laughs> yeah, we'll see what happens there. So I want to hopefully get that on its feet and workshop that a little bit this year, maybe this summer when we can get back into the theater space. Uh, so I'm just doing that. I'm, I'm reading a lot more. I'm trying to, to uh, absorb more books. And, uh, you know, just trying to take a pause. COVID has given us an opportunity to reset and take a breath. And so I'm trying to do that and not just go, 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 go all the time. Yeah. And I know, are you continuing your kind of social media check-ins via conversations with her? Yeah, I I, I want to. I think that um, I took a pause because things got busy and I, I probably need to rethink how I do that. I had a little, uh, it was a, a kind of video talk show kind of thing. Uh, it was doing it live. I may need to just tape it. Uh, I'd like to start, I have a couple podcast ideas. I've always got ideas. It's just, where do you find the time? 
uh, and I really want to work with other people. And so I've got uh, some ideas for some friends who also I think would be excellent podcast co-hosts that have something to bring to the table, but getting that schedule worked out and we can actually get together safely. Uh, so I'm hoping that, um, yeah, I, 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 it's hard when you have a lot of energy creatively, but you have to go to sleep at some point. And, and maybe use the bathroom. That's yeah. sometimes, you know, but you know, yeah. Kirk, I want to say, work, and I work full time, you know, so it's, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, let's not forget that in a very in third uh, shift. <laughs> when do you do it all? We're about to go there now, actually, when we get uh, done with this recording. Well, before we like finish up, I, I do want to share this story with you. I don't know if I've actually told you this. Uh, you know that you were the first podcast that I was ever a yeah. guest on that, you know, yeah. um, and that was man, uh, three years ago, maybe yeah, or so. Least, yeah. And um, I want to tell you that once that podcast came out, um, we were listening to it. We had it playing on like a speaker, a Bluetooth speaker in my kitchen and it's playing. And prior to that, I was one of the people, like many people could not stand to hear the sound of my voice recorded. It's like, oh, I don't even want to listen to this. Oh, right. And it started to play and it was like, oh, but okay, th this isn't sound bad. Like I don't sound bad. There was one point in the podcast where we laughed and Jay looked around and I was like, what's wrong? He was like, that sounded so like you. I thought you were laughing right now. So it was this moment where it was like, yeah, you helped just elicit mm -hmm. my true voice. Okay. So that's cool. But this was, this is what I think just ah, about the whole story. My mother called me and she just was like in awe of just this whole listening to this. And she actually began to cry mm. and talk about like, just things that I'm like, if, if you are the legacy that I leave this world, like how, how, how much joy that brought her. But what I realized is you were the first time that I authentically mm. showed up in such a public way. Wow. And that even someone who had known me my whole life hadn't known me that rawly and authentically. And it was that experience that, and don't get me wrong, it was not right after that. I'm like, I'm going to start a podcast. As a matter of fact, I never, <laughs> not at all, at all. But there were people who were really rooting me in that direction. Yeah. But I felt confident to take that step because of this experience where you came into an office with me and you're just like, we're just going to talk. And it was, yeah. so that, that is what I think of, of Kirk yeah. Shepard, wow. that you, you sit in spaces with people, whether they're actors, wrestlers, clients, friends, whatever. And you just, by your sheer presence, elicit who they, their authentic natural selves. So I wanted to be able to share oh. that with That's you and thing. publicly because it's, it's that part and put it on repeat and fall asleep to it every day. Thank <laughs> you so, much. so I thank you because in some ways, and I love this work. I, you know, all my work yeah. podcasting, I love it. Well, and I anyone who listens it. to you knows, right, that you are a phenomenal uh, communicator, that you are uh, super authentic and ability and your ability to connect with people is we, we were twins, right? So, yeah. uh, <laughs> I, you know, I think that uh, I, feel very honored that I have been a small part of, the, of your journey. Um, you know, I taught, I had one class with you. I was an internship class, which really wasn't even class. It was really just us hanging out and me trying to make everybody calm down because uh, <laughs> it's so stressful, right? Mm -hmm. But to, to be able to say that I taught you uh, will probably be one of the things that's in my funeral because I think you're going to set the world on fire. <sighs> Oh, thank you. So I, this means so much. Um, I'm so glad I'm that so grateful to be we, here. you know, connect and we are so, so, so much alike that we can connect on so many levels. So as we start to finish up first, I want to ask um, if people are wanting to know more about you than what you've already shared, want to get in touch yeah. with, want to find you, how can they do that? New website. So KirkTheCounselor.com is my professional counseling website where you can go if you're interested in that work. Uh, but also KirkShepherd.com is my writer website where you can see what I'm working on, uh, all those things. You can also follow me on Facebook. It's KirkShepherdWriter at the end of Facebook.com. So Facebook.com slash KirkShepherdWriter. Uh, Instagram, same thing, KirkShepherdWriter there. Uh, just KirkShepherd on Twitter. Not as active on those as I should be. But, uh, you know, again, not enough time of the day. Uh, but uh, what I find to be most... Um, 
awesome is when people not just follow me, but also interact with me, right? Mm -hmm. So shoot me an email or send me a Facebook message and, and let me know if you need something or you want to work on something or you have a, a question or I could help in some way. I, I love to help. I love to provide insight. Um, I'm seeing clients on better help now. And one of the things that you can do there is answer questions that people submit um, to you about clinical questions, and then they can decide if they're going to work with you or not. I love that feature because I can sort of teach, share wisdom, uh, you know, entertain. I'm all about that part of it too. Uh, so, you know, just reach out if you have something you want to talk about or just want to get coffee. So things open up. I'm going to be looking to get out of this house and uh, interact with people. I, I, I've learned in late in life that I am an extrovert as much as I wanted to kicking and screamingly stay an introvert in my life. I never was. I was a shy extrovert all my life. Mm -hmm. And now I'm no longer shy. So hit me up. There you go. I love it. So we will obviously have all of that information in the show notes. Also just saying, if you love all the things he's doing and you want to support, I do believe he also has a Patreon oh, I do. that you can that you can um, subscribe to just giving him ongoing support because Kirk does And, and I do uh, weekly weekly updates and a monthly newsletter for my two Patreon <laughs> subscribers. I'd love to have three or four. It'd be great. Absolutely. And finally, I always like to ask my guests to share a fun, little known or interesting fact about themselves. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, I don't know. I think maybe that my very first acting role uh, was Chief Bromden in One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest. And most people start out uh, doing a small bit part of the ensemble. That was a featured leading role pretty much in that play for my first time on stage. So I, I think it just goes to speak about how I go big or go home most of the time. Um, so I think that's probably the thing. You know, I think they cast me because I'm a giant, but uh, I don't think I embarrass myself. So uh, that's probably, I don't know. I mean, I'm such an open book and there's so much out there about me. I don't know if there's anything. I know. Else. That was a good one. I was thinking, what could he possibly say, right? So Kirk, sincerely, thank you so much for thank your you. time. Love this. Love that we're connected. I want to give a special shout out to Trey Angel, who provides all the music for the Labors of Love podcast, to my producer, Jay Sugg from Instant Classic Media, and of course, you, my guest. I never take it for granted that you take time listening. If you have suggestions for content or guests, please reach out to my website, www.thelaborsoflove.com. We're on all the major social media outlets. If you haven't already, head over to Instagram. We have a brand new page just for the podcast, the underscore LOL underscore pod. And take a second, give us that five-star rating, write us a review, and share the podcast with your friends and your loved ones. Until we connect again, you all be well. <laughs>